Good morning, everybody. Um, can I just ask, is anybody here for the first time? We'd just love to welcome you and um, acknowledge you that you're here. Is anybody visiting us or here for the first time? Any newcomers? Way wonderful. Let's give these guys a very warm welcome. We've just got a little, um, a little, a little bag. Um, uh, just uh, with a little welcome pack that we'd love to give you to welcome you. So um, if you have, just um, come and become part of Elim or, or started attending in, in recent times and you didn't get one of those bags, please just ask the uh, welcome team and the stewards uh, later on, on on the way out and, and we'll make sure that you can have one of those as well. We don't want anybody to miss, miss out on those. Uh, I don't have a clicker here, so um, you're going to have to go with me, gang, Okay. <laughs> Is that all right? Um, so we are uh, continuing our series this morning, um, extra- uh, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God, exploring the Bible characters and how God is, was at work in and through their lives. Uh, some of these Bible uh, characters we would think of as Bible heroes, people that we've maybe heard about in our Sunday school classes or we've heard about um, one way or another. And some of them have been unsung heroes, maybe those people in the pages of Scripture that you don't often hear about or read about. Uh, But just looking at all of them and seeing how God is at work in the lives of ordinary people. Is there any ordinary people? No, none of us are ordinary, are we? (laughs) Let's be honest. But you know what I mean. Just people. People doing life like we are, and God was at work in their stories, and God is at work in our stories as well. As we explore the pages of Scripture, uh, we might say, why God would you use and choose me? And the, the pages of Scripture say, why not? That fantastic verse from 1 Corinthians 1 says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So, that's good news for all of us. God will use and can use, and it's his joy to be at work. I'm just seeing if there's a clicker anywhere, but there isn't. I don't know where that's gone. It's there and it's not working. Right, right. Let's uh, (laughs) thank you, technical team, for continuing to serve. Um, um, Do your best to try and keep up with me. I'll be going through these slides quite quickly today. So this morning's uh, person that we are looking at, the name is going to go up on the screen, it's Hadassah. Anyone know Hadassah? Oh, oh, so I heard somebody, yeah, go on. It's Esther. Ah, Well done. Well done, Alison, that's fair play. <laughs> so it's um, it is actually somebody that we are relatively familiar with. We may come across her story, but we didn't know perhaps that she had another name. And uh, it says when it introduces Esther in the into the story in the book of Esther, it explains that there was a young lady called Hadassah who was also called Esther. And we know that uh, within the different languages and the different cultures that people were living within, often they'd have a name that was. Uh, Said in a certain way uh, or said in a different way. And so the young lady who was called Hadassah is also known as Esther. Uh, we haven't got time to do a really in-depth exploration of Esther. I'm going to do a brief overview in just a moment, but can I thoroughly recommend to you the Bible Project? Anybody, anybody ever use the Bible Project? What a great resource this is. We're so privileged to be able to just 
a few clicks away. Uh, and the Bible Project give you brilliant overviews of most of the books of the of Scripture. Great teachings and, and overviews on, on lots of things. Um, it's not perfect. Nothing ever is, is it? But they do a really great job. So I want to recommend to you the Bible Project. Uh, maybe later on, go away and have a look at their overview of Esther. But here we go with a very brief overview, because as we look at the story of Esther, I think we need to know at the beginning how the story uh, unfolds. At the time this takes place, the Jewish people are, or this is a group of Jewish people who are in exile in Persia. Some have returned to Jerusalem, um, but these, this, this um, group during the Babylonian ex- exile, they were some of the people that were spread across to different nations, and uh, this community of Jewish people um, are in exile in Persia. It's during the time of King Xerxes and he wants to show, the, the, the opening of the book, he wants to show his splendor. He wants to show off who he is, all of his grandeur, all of uh, the riches and his opulence. And, but like the, the main thing that we see in, in this is he wants to show off uh, his beautiful wife, Queen Vashti. Uh, but she defies him and she refuses to be uh, put on parade. So the king and his advisors make a decree uh, in anger off the back of her defiance. Um, to, and what this decree is, is, is about enhancing, strengthening male hegemony, so male power, male dominance. Um, and he also says he wants to find a new king. Queen. Queen. <laughs> the way you said that was like that, I've already done that a few times. <laughs> okay. The first of many corrections this morning. So then we uh, enter the story Esther. And Esther is a Jewish orphan who's parented by her cousin Mordecai. Uh, who, uh, and she was included in the pageant of all the virgins, all the young ladies that were being presented as potential uh, people to join the courts of the king and to become queen. And King Xerxes becomes enamored. In fact, he becomes a little bit obsessed with Esther. And long story short, she does become Queen Esther. Um, but at, the, at, the, at that same time that she's being um, elevated, coincidentally uh, into that role, Mordecai, her cousin, overhears some um, people who work in the, the king's courts. He overhears them plotting to, uh, to kill the king. And so because Mordecai is able to get the line of contact through Esther, she uh, is able to tell the king what's, what's been plotted. And in a sense, Mordecai saves the king's life. Um, so there's a favor which, uh, uh, that opens up through there. But around this time as well, Haman, who is sort of king's most honored other person, rises to the seat of honor and demands to be worshipped by everybody, which would have been a common thing for somebody sitting in a seat of power like that to do, to, to uh, um, require everyone to bow down to them, treated more like gods than just rulers. Um, but Mordecai refuses. Haman is furious that Mordecai has refused him uh, and is, I think, probably scared that others are going to refuse him as well at the example of Mordecai. So he persuades the king to make an edict to kill all the Jews across the provinces that they rule. And at that time, Mordecai calls upon his cousin Queen Esther, who he has brought up as a, his parented, uh, to help the people 
And she calls the people to fast. Um, Then Esther calls the king and Haman to a banquet with a request. And she asks them to a second banquet. uh, And that same night, Haman is plotting a brutal killing of Mordecai. Again, coincidentally, that night, as the king who couldn't sleep that night... Um, (laughs) I don't know what you do when you can't sleep, but it seems that the king, when he couldn't sleep, he asked some of his servants to read out the chronicles uh, 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 and hear stories all about himself and and all about what else is going on. So (laughs) it's an interesting choice. Um, But as these chronicles are being read, these chronicles remind him of how Mordecai saved his life. He doesn't know that Haman is plotting what he is over Mordecai. And coincidentally that night, he is reminded how Haman had saved his life. So Haman, and this is where the... Oh, details. (laughs) Can I just explain? I got back late last night from the Elim Sound Conference in London. And uh, so I'm probably not on full, full, full fine fettle. Um, so thank you for your corrections. Feel free to continue correcting me every time of the many that I will make mistakes. It does prove you're listening. In fact, I was only doing it to test that you were listening. <laughs> you passed the test. Okay. So next thing that happens is Haman is then made to honor Mordecai. He actually, instead of um, Mordecai being killed upon the stake that Haman has, has built for him, yeah, I'm getting the names right, um, Haman has to parade Mordecai round and make the people honor him. Uh, and then off the back of that, Esther explains to the king what Haman had plotted for her people and for Mordecai. And then the king's anger rages against Haman and Haman is impaled on the very stake that he had created for Mordecai. Then (laughs) Mordecai and Esther help King Xerxes to issue a second edict because the first edict that he had made for all the Jewish people uh, could not be revoked. A king's edict could not be revoked. Hence, the word of the Lord will achieve that for which it is sent forward. But the word of a king could not be revoked, so they cleverly help him to create a second edict. And that second edict is to allow the Jewish people to fight for themselves against the enemy. And then we see that Mordecai is placed in the seat of honor that Haman used to uh, possess, and the Jews see great triumph. And as the story unfolds, the Jewish people are honored and are able to establish customs that celebrate their salvation. Okay, we've got a brief overview of the book. It was not as brief as I hoped, but it's, it gives you a picture of what the story looks like. Now let's look at some principles about what... Esther's story and Mordecai's story can teach us and show us as we try and live out our faith today. First thing, Esther had a painful family backstory. She came from a broken situation. It says this in Esther 2, starting in verse 5. There was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jaiatha, son of Shimei, the son of Kish who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with the Jehoiakim king of Judah, with Jehoiakim king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named 
Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young, young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So Esther had known the great pain and the great grief of uh, losing her precious parents. Esther had lost both of her parents, so she was an orphan. But although that is part of her story, and that we may all have experienced pain. In fact, we have all experienced pain in our lives, whether it's a family backstory that's painful or whether it's some other kind of story or experience, something that we've been through in our lives that's difficult. But this pain, this grief, this um, orphaned background that Esther had did not define her story. It wasn't the end. It wasn't the end of her story. And God was able to take her from that place and bring a beautiful story about the salvation of God's people through her. We don't hear many details about why or how her parents had died, but we do know that her family knew the pain of grief and loss. And we also see here the first little insight of the character of Mordecai as her cousin who had taken her in and it explains that he had loved her like a child, brought her up, nurtured her, and cared for her as a parent. And we all have complication or pain in our lives. But these things don't have to define us. They don't have to be the end of the story. This family line had been exiled for about 100 years. It was about four or 500 years BC when this was taking place. But although they had been exiled from Jerusalem and they were no longer, longer living there, they knew who they were. And they were able to call upon some of their family line and their history and uh, know who they were. And our identity now, as we try and apply this in our day, is to understand who we are in Christ. So when we go through, they knew that they were the people of God. They knew that they were the Jewish family line, come from the Jewish background. And although everything in their lives didn't match up with God's ways and they weren't doing everything as God would have wanted them to do, and there are some interesting things in this story where you go, I don't know if these people are good examples. However, they knew who they were. And we, in all of our rights and wrongs and ups and downs and what we go through in our lives, we need to remember who we are. We are the people of God. We have been, through Jesus Christ, called his own. And when we remember who we are, when we go through difficulties or we go through or we wander off, that plumb line of who we are in Jesus brings us back and we remember our identity in him. Amen? So that's the first thing. Just understanding Esther had this painful backstory, but it didn't define us. She knew who she was and we can know who we are as we root and find our identity in Christ. The next thing that this story so, shows us so clearly, so beautifully, is, is how Esther's life was a testimony to God's providence. God being at work. God actually working sometimes behind the scenes when we don't understand it, we don't recognize it, to turn around situations for the good of those who love him. Hence, God works in all things for the good of those love him we see 
just a, a one aspect of that in Esther 2 further down when it says, When the turn came for Esther to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Hegai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the 10th month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won the favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. This young orphaned girl through a series of events that, that God is clearly working at behind the scenes, with all the complications and the questions that we, as we read through those words, she was elevated to this place of honor. And banquet was thrown in her honor to celebrate. This orphan Jewish girl became the queen of Persia. It's often difficult to look at the details of our lives or what's going on in the world, and see God's hand, isn't it? You know, when we're going through the day-to-day things, and you think, oh, no, another thing this week. Another thing's happened this week. Or just even in the, 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 the bigger things in our lives, and we think, God, why is it this way? Why, why, must, why must this be? It is often hard for us to recognize as we just walk through the day-to-day life in the present, the bigger picture of what God is doing. And I find, for me personally, that often it's only in hindsight. When I look back and I say, oh, and I reflect on the journey that I've been on, I think, that's why, or this is how, or that's where God moved. That's where I can see the hand of God. And that's not the case for everything in our lives. There are still things that we're going to look back on and go, Lord, I don't know why that happened. But I still know that you are God. And I still know that you are good. And I still know who I am in Jesus. Even though I'm going through this now or I've been through this then, I still know who you are and who I am. And this story of Esther helps us to see that there is a bigger picture and there is a bigger perspective where God is Always at work. God is always at work. Sometimes we just need to look a little bit harder to find out how and why. And so through this, um, there's a key point in this story where Esther came to understand that her purpose was in God. Esther 4, um, uh, when uh, Esther is Haman as plot is kind of in mid flow the people of God the Jewish people are going to be um, persecuted Mordecai and and Queen Esther now are having some communication um, through the through the channels that they had to communicate and and this message uh, Esther is a little bit fearful about what it is that she is is feeling she's going to have to do in terms of taking the issue to the king And Mordecai says this to her. Do not think 
that because do do not think that because you are in the king's house you alone of all the Jews will escape for if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place uh, notice how Mordecai is saying God will be at work whether you're involved or not but you and your father's family will perish and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this now this quote that verse is an is is a popular quote it's a quote that we like to have on fridge magnets and and to encourage one another with that we've been born and that we're alive and that we're living for such a time as this and it is true to say that we are all alive now and live in this moment for God and that he has a plan and a purpose but I think this particular quote when we look at the context that it is presented in is Mordecai challenging Esther rather than giving her a little nudge of encouragement he is saying to his cousin who he nurtured as an orphan look at you now you you are now queen of Persia and coincidentally at the same time as your people your family are going to be extinguished because of this plot against them so you need to realize you've been called for such a time this is why you are where you are this is why God has placed you in this position and sometimes it is in our moment of greatest pressure or turmoil that we really discover who we are in God she was in anguish because her people were going to be slaughtered and it's in that time that she understood I've been appointed for such a time as this so Mordecai was able to remind Esther that it was God's bigger purpose that had taken her to this position at this time. And she then had to choose to stand for her people rather than for her own comfort and her own interests. Because life was pretty good for her. And she had to decide, how am I going to move forward here? I wonder who or what you and I are willing to stand up for beyond ourselves. Because there are people who need us to stand up on their behalf challenged when I hear about people facing last week we heard from Ruth from Open Doors if you weren't here then please do catch up with it online watch last week's uh, talk from Ruth she gave us some stories about what people are dealing with in different parts of the world as they stand up for their faith um, she talked a little bit about Open Doors and gave us some encouragement from scripture there are some um, uh, leaflets over there which if you weren't here last week please um, we'll try and make those available so you don't forget to grab those um, uh, about open doors and what they do but who or what are we willing to stand up for maybe those that need a, a voice well Esther's response was this she knew the power of fasting and calling upon the Lord so even with all the complications and all the different things of her life she knew to call the people and as we fast together during the month of November it's because we know that there's a bigger picture in God, that we need to align ourselves with him. And as we say no to something of the flesh or no to something that we might usually rely upon, we're doing so to say, God, it's you that we rely upon above everything else. And that's what Esther was doing. God, we rely upon you. 
Not upon Haman, not upon King Xerxes. We rely upon you and the people were called to fast. It says this in Esther 4, further down. Esther sent this reply, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, uh, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. And this is the crux of the story, the turning point of the story. For all of the complications and imperfections in her story, she was able to call the people of God to put him first. And this is the goal of our fasting. And we need a God breakthrough today. There are a number of things. There are things in the life of church. We are finding it a great challenge um, that we've got a small team, if you're not aware, that are looking at alternatives for us in terms of what we could do about our meeting space. And there are a number of different options. But I want you need to know that they're exploring options and some of them are just no. And we need a God breakthrough to know. We want to know what he is leading us to do. We want to be able to say we're doing this because God did this. That's what we want the story to look like. As you fast through this month, would you be praying about that particular thing that we're trying to get God's heart and God's mind on in terms of our meeting space, this, this place or another place or whatever that it might look like? Because we want to be where God wants us to be. Amen? The next thing, as I go through quickly now, Esther was willing to trust God in the face of death. She said this, when this is done, I will go to the king after the fast, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. To stand before the king without being summoned was a very frightful thing. She shouldn't have been able to do it. Even the queen herself, Queen Esther, could not go before the king without being summoned. But she trusted God, even if it meant dying for the sake of her people. Would we? I'm not sure. Here's the thing. One day we will all stand before the righteous king of kings. And we've been called and we've been singing about the mercy. I stand before my king because of the mercy of God. And that mercy calls each one of us. But we do need to decide whether we have accepted that mercy and accepted that call. Because one day we will stand before him. And I want to know, I want to tell you that the judgment of God is more fearful than the judgment of Xerxes. But for those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, there is mercy. And we can stand with freedom and joy and we can come into the holy place to meet with the king. Because of Jesus. Let's be ready. Esther and Mordecai were party to things that were morally and spiritually questionable, if we're honest, as we read through the story. And there are cultural dynamics. There are different contexts at play. But they could be, I'm not doing this, but some people can read some of the pages of the book of Esther and they could accuse them of spiritual compromise, of deceit, of revelry, of manipulation, of immorality, and so on. There are things which are subtext not there not explicit so but people could read those things into some of the stories Esther showed some great traits as well but the point is that the book of Esther is not a moralistic it's not setting her up as a moralistic role model the story of Esther is a story of God being at work in and through and for his people 
And the stories that God writes do not generally involve perfect people. <laughs> Phew. <laughs> just, just in case you were wondering, this is not a perfect church. It's not a perfect community of perfect people, definitely with not a perfect pastor or a perfect anything. And here's the thing. Neither are you. <laughs> none of us are. And none of us can demand it of ourselves or of others. The classic line that you've probably heard said before, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. And I know that for myself. God uses broken, weak. God uses foolish. We just need to be available and willing and do our best. And that's what we're trying to do. Amen. Esther shows us that God is at work in the bigger picture, always at work for the good of his people. As the story moves on, we read this. King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther and they have impaled him upon the pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews in behalf of the Jews as it seems best to you and seal it with the king's signet ring for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. And now coming to possibly the most fascinating thing about the book of Esther. God is not mentioned once. Did you know that? This story, we see the hand of God laced throughout it at work in it. But none of God's revealed names that we see in scripture are mentioned. Perhaps more than any other book of the Bible, it shows us how God is always at work. Even when it's not at the forefront. And we can trust that God's purposes will be made known. His plan and purpose will come to pass, whether we're a faithful part of it or not. And ultimately, as we've seen time and time again through Old Testament and New Testament stories, Esther's story points us where? To Jesus. Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and, um, and 14th days of the month of Adar. As the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving of, pr- and giving of, and giving of presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. God's people learned how to celebrate because of the salvation that God had brought them. And that's what we do. We're approaching a time of year when we fix our attention on the fact that Jesus became one of us. To come and to seek and to save us. Esther is a story of the plan and purpose of God and of his salvation. Esther is an unlikely saviour. But she finds herself in the place to redeem her people. And is willing to lay down her life to do so. And because of that, God's people go from being the dishonoured people to being the honoured People as God's plan unfolds. Jesus takes us because although he was an unlikely saviour, 
a baby born and laid in a manger, an animal feeding trough, becomes the saviour of all of us. And that's why we can celebrate. That's why we can feast. That's why we can share with one another the joy of the salvation of God. And we go from some of the challenges and the dishonour we might face in this life, knowing that we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ, who will share an inheritance in his eternal kingdom and eternal life forever. Amen? So I want you to just, as we finish, know this, that God chooses you. He chooses you. Don't rule yourself out or others due to a painful family backstory. Don't forget who and whose you are when you're facing challenging situations. And don't expect 100% perfection of yourself or of others. Do call yourself and others to faithfulness. Mordecai did for Esther. Do prepare yourself to stand before the King of Kings. Do seek God with all your heart in the key moments of your life. And do trust that God is sovereign, that he is good and that his plan will unfold. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord. First of all, if you want to respond to the call of God today. You haven't actually known the salvation that he can give. We would love you to have the opportunity to pray a prayer and begin a journey of what it looks like to follow Jesus and accept his forgiveness that he's given as he died upon the cross, shedding his blood to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. If you've never received that truth and that knowledge and that salvation and you would like to today, then just would you raise your hand and for the first time want to begin following Jesus? I'd love to help you do that. Is there anybody in the room this morning that wants to begin the journey of following Jesus? Nobody here this morning, and that's fine. If there's anybody online or in the room that wants to discuss more fully what that might look like and what that means, then please speak to us. Second thing I want to pray for this morning, if you specifically know that you need to trust God for something at the moment, there is a situation that you need to trust God for, knowing that he holds the bigger picture in his hands, then let's pray these words together. Lord God, I will lean not on my own understanding. I will trust in you. Amen. And then finally, we just pray together for God's redemptive plan and purpose to be seen in and through us. As it was seen in and through Esther and the people in uh, Persia at that time, the salvation of God. Lord God, we pray for Aberystwyth, for this town, for this region. We pray for our church. And the churches, Lord, and we ask that your redemptive plan and purpose would be made known. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things for your glory, for your name's sake, Lord. We love you and we want to see your name honoured. Amen. Amen.